Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg. Two movies, High Heat and The Honeymoon. I have three interviews for this Flick City, episode 80. For The Honeymoon, this will be my third interview that I'm going to air. This is going to be the tail end of the podcast. will be an interview with Pico Alexander. He is the lead in The Honeymoon, and it centers on a new couple. Adam is played by Pico Alexander, and his new bride is Sarah, played by Maria Bakalova. You might know her from the Borat film, Borat subsequent movie film. You might know her from that. They're a new couple. They vacation in Venice. Everything seems nice, romantic, sensual. Who knows? Maybe they might. They're, they're going to have a romantic getaway in the confines of Venice. But the problem is their wonderful time in Venice is upended by Adam's best friend, played by Asim Chaudhry. And he plays this guy named Bob. And that is the heart of the honeymoon. What happens is Bob is a really... Yeah, this was a, this this romantic comedy kind of hit home for me. Bob is sort of the Arrested Development best friend of of Adam, and I'm an Arrested Development type of guy, and I've been that quote unquote Bob to a lot of my buddies from high school. So I Bob makes some really annoying, irritating mistakes all throughout the honeymoon. I guess that's the comedy of it. It's a frustrating comedy, meaning that a lot of the comedy lies in the frustrating acts of Bob. Very irresponsible, very clumsy does a lot of bad things to put his buddy Adam in the hole. What happens is Adam's bride, Sarah, your wife Sarah, is she a, a gangster, a mobster, Italian mobster, falls and immediately falls head, head over heels for her. And he's romancing Sarah while sending Bob and Adam on a pretty much an interesting criminally a criminal journey, okay? And it's one of these things where these two buddies, Adam has to actually come through in this criminal journey or else his wife, Sarah, will have to be forever linked to the mobster, okay? And that mobster is played by Lucas Bravo, I believe. Yeah, Lucas Bravo. So anyways, yeah, really enjoy this movie, The Honeymoon, light, romantic comedy, fluffy, cool, and... I like Maria Bakalova. I've never seen Pico Alexander before in various... I, I looked at his IMDb. So it's an interesting interview, but Pico, you might know him better than me because he played a love interest to Reese Witherspoon in Home Again, and he was also featured in Dickinson, that Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus series Dickinson, which I still haven't seen. I have not seen that. And also in the ser- miniseries Catch-22, I believe it was directed by George Clooney, based on a book by Joseph Heller. So that is one of my interviews, Pico Alexandra. The other two interviews are Chris Diamantopoulos and Caitlin Doubleday, and they play a very bloody, not, not a bloody couple, they're a very violent couple because they are killing machines. They really, they're tasked with, basically they're sort of a demented version of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And they're pretty hilarious. They're comic relief, but they do have their violent moments in this movie, High Heat. High Heat centers on a chef, very talented chef played by Olga Korolenko, who on her opening night, everything seems fine until her husband divulges to her. Her husband is played by Don Johnson. Her husband divulges that he owes a ton of money to this mob boss played by former wrestler Diamond Dallas Page. In this movie, he's credited as Dallas Page, and he's Surprisingly very good in this movie, very natural actor. Well, not surprisingly, because I, I used to be a fan of DDP, Feel the Bang, really knew he was great on the mic. So obviously that mic skills and that physical prowess translates to his work as the the main baddie in High Heat. Anyways, it's a very fun movie. Both of these movies, 
The Honeymoon, light comedy, available in theaters. No, it's in theaters, available on digital and on demand as of today, Friday, December 16th. Same thing with High Heat. If you like Olga Kurilenko and her action films, this will fit squarely into what you're looking for. It's a pretty much a 90 plus minute action comedy type of film. So it's really good. Both of these movies go down smooth. If you want some really solid entertainment this weekend and you want to stay at home and you want to purchase something on digital or on demand, I will put the links. If they're available, uh, I'll, I'll put the links where you can purchase these on Amazon if you want. But most importantly, we'd love to hear what you think of any of these movies if you see them anytime soon. All right. So hit me up on these movies. Anyways, Chris Diamantopoulos is that interview is very interesting because he is the voice of Mickey Mouse and he did the voice of Mickey for me during the interview. That was very kind of him because there's a Mickey Mouse story with me and my six-year-old niece, Claire. I taught her, I, I taught her what dim sum was thanks to the Mickey short Cable Car Chaos, which is set in San Francisco. If you haven't seen Cable Car Chaos, it's amazing. Also, Christian Montopoulos, he is also, he also played Mo Howard in The Three Stooges from year, several years back, maybe I think 10 years back. As of this recording, I believe it's streaming on Hulu. I definitely want to see The Three Stooges have been a lifelong Three Stooges fan. And that is briefly talked about during our interview. So he's a very talented actor, talented voice actor, talented actor, period. Other credits for him include the Wesley Snipes, Kevin Hart series, limited series, True Story. He was in Red Notice, a movie I really enjoyed. Bruce Perkin, Eric Holmes, my cinematics buddies, they were not a big fan of that, but I loved it. He has a memorable role as the villain in Red Notice. I had, a, I don't know, I had a fun time with that movie. So Chris Diamantopoulos, that's an, the first interview for this Flick City. Then after that, we're going to transition to Caitlin Doubleday, and she's also in high heat as that killer wife of Diamantopoulos' character. And while his character is sort of a is a sniper, she is better pretty much on the field, hand to hand combat, weapons trained, but she's sort of on the ground, an on the ground type of killer. And she has a very memorable fight sequence against Olga Korolenko, which we talk about in the interview. Okay. So again, Christian Montopoulos, Caitlin Doubleday for High Heat. These will be the first two interviews. And I'm going to close out this Flick City episode 80 with an interview with Pico Alexander from that movie Home Again. I also forgot to mention he was seen last year in The Sky is Everywhere. Okay, so Pico Alexander for The Honeymoon. And yeah, that's it. Three interviews for this installment of Flick City. Thank you so much for listening to me, Anderson Cowan, Bruce Berkey, and Eric Holmes on Cinematics. All right, guys, hit us up if you have any questions or tell us what movies you've been watching lately. All right, guys, love you. Bye. First of all, this is just such an interesting character, and there's some really great interplay with when we talk about the the, the extended family. This is a this is one of the more unique families I've seen in years. Was that one of the many reasons why this was sort of a a no brainer project for you, for you to be a part of? Yeah, absolutely. Look, what I love about High Heat is it it it's it's sort of a a fast paced action comedy emotional romp. It's got elements of like those old '90s movies that we would have loved to still keep making. Um, you got Don Johnson and Olga just killing it in this movie. And for me, it was a chance to really play this sort of quiet, subdued, normal suburban dad who also happens to be a murderous sniper and is very, very henpecked by his uh, brilliant wife, Mimi, uh, played by Caitlin Doubleday. And we had such a great time finding the dynamic of these characters. And for me in particular, just finding this guy who had lost his 
he lost his way somewhere along the way, having kids and and uh, and just uh, easing into daily life. He sort of forgot the man that he had he thought he was going to be, and and that's that's his path in this film is to find his way back to you know what really makes Tom Tom. Yeah, there's I guess is a way sort of a left turn, but there's a section where Tom finds sort of his balance via. I don't want to get maybe physical therapy or whatnot. And we'll, you know, people will watch it and they'll figure that out. But yeah. I just read something that along with that philosophy, you're, uh, I don't know if the term is stoic, you're into stoicism. Has that helped you center yourself as an artist as well? Because I, I know it on a very cursory level, but maybe has that aided you on your journey as an artist? You know? Yeah, it really has. I mean, look, I think stoic philosophy will help anyone in any uh, facet of their lives, just in the sense that it, it's really just a philosophy of being present and recognizing. Uh, as my my pal DJ, uh, Dwayne Johnson says, what are the controllables? Control them, right? And for, with stoic philosophy, it's really just a matter of, of uh, Marcus Aurelius says, um, fortifying the citadel of your mind and and knowing, you know, you can't control the weather, you can't control other people, but you can control your perception and your reaction to things. So um, it's very helpful on a film set for sure when things hit the fan and when weather changes or when a set isn't, you know, uh, working right or when the hours change or or whatever it is, um, you really have two options. You can freak out and 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 throw a dramatic fit or you can accept and carry on. You know, so I, I don't know if you're part of Gen X. I'm part of Gen X. I think we, we, we might be in the same generation. What was it like just having Don Johnson as part of the ensemble? That's part one. And then part two, Olga, I think, is just, I'll watch her in anything. You as a cinephile, do you agree with that sentiment as well? So. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a, such a, a huge James Bond fan. Uh, I loved what she did in Quantum of Solace. I thought she made that movie. She was so soulful and so uh, beautiful and dynamic and powerful and uh, vulnerable. Um, I love her, but I've been a Don Johnson fan for as long as I can remember. So dude, I mean, uh, he's the man. And it was just for me, really, that was the, the beginning and ending of saying yes to a project like this. When they called and asked me the minute they mentioned those two, I wanted to be on board, um, because I just, uh, uh, as a fan just wanted to watch them work. No, for you, just with a life. Uh, with voiceover acting and acting as well in so many quality projects. What is it like for you to actually have a really diverse resume? Did you, when you were starting out maybe 17 or 18, uh, did you ever think that you would be at this place? I'm so lucky, man. I, I, I get to do something that I, I always dreamed of doing, uh, maybe never thought I'd ever get a chance to do. And I get to do it in, in so many different facets and ways and in so many different mediums. Um, that I really, I mean, I have to pinch myself because uh, I, I get to explore so many avenues of characters and voices and emotions in, in the animated and on camera and on stage world. Um, I, I would have I dreamt far more humbly as a 17-year-old of what I, I, I might be able to work on. And I still am um, blown away by some of the, the great opportunities that have come my way, the least of which being uh, to be involved in a film with uh, a, a, such a talented ensemble as this. Yeah. So my question from my six-year-old niece, Claire, she wants to, we, we I taught her the, um, as an Asian American, it meant a lot to me to teach her about dim sum thanks to cable car chaos when I used to always, <laughs> I, I used to always try the voice and dim I apologize. Sum? Dim sum, I'd love some. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. But it was, it meant a lot for the culture. So I really want to thank you for that. But her question to you is, 
how did Chris make that so well, that Mickey Mouse voice? <laughs> so. Oh, man. Well, that's a great question. I, uh, Mickey Mouse is, is one of the things that has come to me that, that, that humbles me more than anything ever because Mickey is such a beloved global, uh, historical figure. Uh, and I take very, very seriously how much he means to all the kids and all the people of the world. Um, I actually was kind of nervous about undertaking it at first because I have such a deep voice and I just, I just didn't think that I would at all be right for it. And, and when I really did some digging and realized that Walt Disney himself was the first one to voice Mickey, I found some old documentary footage of him and his voice was actually very similar to mine. He was a smoker and he had a very, very deep, low voice. And when I watched him do it, I realized maybe there was something to it. And further to that, I've always had a huge affinity for 1930s comedy. Um, and I'm a big Three Stooges fan. And I realized in watching the old Mickey shorts that Walt did and then referencing them, cross-referencing them with the old Stooges shorts, Mickey and the Stooges had a very similar vernacular. And if I was able to take that that 30s-esque clippy way of speaking and put it into the Mickey voice, then maybe I'd be onto something. And that's where, well, hot dog, I was able to do it. You know, I, speak, speaking of just um, clipping onto things, I, I look, I'm a huge cinephile. My mom is the biggest cinephile I know. And the one, one of the, one of the two couple people she loves, Jean Crane is her number one, but she always smiles and she always tells me how awesome Danny Kaye is, and she cites the court jester. And for you, as as a kid, I I still haven't I haven't returned to Danny Kaye when I was nine or ten. What am I missing now as an adult, and how is that kind of talent and storytelling and approach to art has influenced you? Danny Kaye is the alpha and omega of what has influenced me, man. And the court jester was really the beginning for me. My dad showed me that movie when I was a boy, and I'll never forget the pellet with the poisons and the vessel with the pestle, the chalice from the palace is the brew that is true. But they broke. There's been a there's been a mistake. They broke the pellet with the po- they they broke the chalice from the palace and replaced it with a flagon with a figure of a dragon. Is the pellet with the poison and the flagon with the dragon? No, the pellet with the poisons and the vessel with the pestle, the flagon with the dragon is the brew that is true. There was something about the facility of his of what he was able to do. Uh, I love that he played uh, so many different characters in that movie. He was because he was impersonating the jester. He he undertook all these different. I remember when he did. He says, um, "My dear sir, Giacomo is a master of many many tongues indeed. French, je le parle dur, je le parle romantique, je le parle Italian. Et c'est pronto le vent, allez sorte, allez vasta, allez sorte, allez bon, allez sorte." I love that he just gibberished it all up. And I'm sure in today's culture, people would take offense to, "Oh, that wasn't real French," or "Oh, that wasn't real Italian." Nah. It was real entertainment. It was it was uh, Danny taking his physical facility and his um, verbal facility and being able to keep people laughing their heads off uh, for two hours. Uh, he was one of the most gifted performers ever to grace us, and I, I look back on his all of his films uh, with such fondness and admiration. Couple more questions with with high heat. I really, I, I wish you and Caitlin and the twins had your own movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like that. How did you find that balance? Because you're playing the scene, and you, you guys, I'm sure, don't want to go too over overboard, but you're making it funny, dangerous, and there's just so many different kind of balancing acts. I think within your sequences. Yeah, and it really just boils down to having a good director. And Zach Golden was a great director. He, he sort of made sure he kept us on track, but also as an actor, keeping yourself in check and making sure that even if it's huge and big and broad, 
you know, like in the Stooges or, or, or Russ Hanneman on Silicon Valley. It all has to come from a vulnerable place, a place of insecurity, a place of reality. If it can be real, even if it's big, if it can be real, if you can distill the reality, then 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 you can carry on with it. And I, I tend to gravitate toward really, really big characters. I have a big one coming up on a Peacock series that's coming out April 20th called Mrs. Davis. It's one of the biggest characters I've ever played. What what makes wow that's saying a lot. What makes can you say what makes a character? Or I mean, this, one, this, this 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 is one of the biggest swings I've ever taken as a character. He's just such a massive amalgamation of some very very uh, recognizable pop culture cinematic figures that we've had in the past, and he's just larger than life. Everything from what he sounds like to what he looks like to what he does, it's huge. I'm looking forward to that. Is part of your success, Chris, the fact that you, along with your talent. Um, you have the courage to make mistakes and fail. Whereas I'm sure a lot of people just get, don't want to take that big swing They're They're okay with a single up the middle, even though they may have just prodigious talent. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that. I mean, look, I know that, that, that uh, there is uh, so much talent out there that is so greater than what I possess. I, I, I have always been too scared not to try. Uh, and boy, oh boy, have I failed in my career time after time after time. But, you know, I'd rather tilt at the windmill and be knocked off my horse than ride by it. And a few years later, wonder, gosh, should I have just tried to to to, to try? Should I just have tried to tap into something? I, I'd rather give it a shot and have people say that was terrible. Well, all right. You didn't like it. The next one will be better. Okay. Final uh, question. Two-part question. The reason why I still haven't seen the Three Stooges was I grew up such a fan. Going back to, to the Danny K stuff, I I don't want to open that childhood up. Mm-hmm. What am I missing from the movie? Because in the years since, everyone tells me that I'm I'm pretty much an idiot for not watching the movie. That's no, no, totally underrated. Not, no, you're not an idiot at all. Look, I I, I understand. I'm a, I have a, a holy uh, reverence for the Stooges. And and to be honest with you, had I not been involved in the movie, I would be the same as you. I'd be like, ah, I don't want to touch it. I want, you know, I love the Stooges when I was a kid. I don't want to go in. I don't want to open that up. But what I will say is this. Look, Pete Farrelly uh, is, is a gifted filmmaker. Um, and really, it's a tribute to the Stooges. Um, there are elements of the film, like any film that are made, and you know, that, that, that's been made that, that you know, by virtue now has dated elements. Like, for, for example, the Jersey Shore plays a, a part in, in the film. Obviously, when the film came out, that was a, a pop culture that was a thing that was happening in the pop culture. So it may not be as relevant now, but the, the essence of the homage to the original three stooges is really in that film. So if you, if you were a fan of the stooges as a kid, sit down, get some popcorn, grab your six-year-old niece and have a ball. Oh, I'm very excited. And lastly, very 30 seconds out. Just, can you right off the top of your head, can you name one of your, you mentioned the court, the court jester and um, you know, the three stooges, but right off the top, can you name one of your all-time favorite films? And what is it about this film that still resonates with you today. Philadelphia story, Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart. What resonates is the dialogue and the way that it's shot. You could literally just transpose that and put it today. You don't, wouldn't have to change a thing. It's the, the most beautiful performances and one of the most brilliant, wonderful stories. Philadelphia story. Mwah. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great day. Good luck to you, man. All right. You too. Take care. All the best. All the best. Bye-bye. First off, the that really elaborate sequence with you and Olga, that just seems, it, it was fun to watch as a cinephile, but how difficult was it to actually chore, choreograph and just go through that entire sequence? Because that's a very ambitiously shot moment in the film. 
It was, you know, I, it's, we had an amazing choreographer. He was so patient and lovely. And the two stunt <clears throat> stunt women were also fabulous. So, you know, we didn't have much time because it's a small independent movie um, to learn all of it. We just came in on our days off or when we were not shooting. And, you know, I think we, I worked on that for a couple days before at least, and did it a hundred times, like each little section, you know, you do, she pulls your arm, you go back, she jumps over, then you duck her, you know, you do that, that 10 times, then you do the next section 10 times. But I'd never done anything like that before. So I just thought it was, I'm really thankful that I had such a wonderful choreographer who was so patient and lovely. And Olga's done this a million times. So she didn't, she wasn't worried about it, you know, <laughs> but I was glad that I got to work with somebody so talented. Speaking of talent, what's it like just bantering back and forth with Chris, who just comes from so many kind of different disciplines and you guys have that really oh, unique family. Yeah. My only complaint with the movie is I wanted another movie with your family. That's exactly what I said. And, you know, when Chris and I both read the script, we were like, you, I, you, this is like a dream that you read a million scripts and you, there's a character that you love and you're like, oh, that, that would be so much fun to play. But usually it's not you. You know what I mean? And so when I read this script, I wasn't expecting, I didn't know what to expect. They were just like, Hey, read the script. You, you know, look at the character of Mimi, but I didn't, I didn't think that it was going to be some quirky, weird family that was hilarious and over the top in set in this action thriller. You know, it was almost like a separate movie in that movie. And, and when I met Chris, he was like, yeah, I felt the same way. Like I felt like their scenes were the best part of the movie. And so, because it just set it apart, it made it not like every other action movie. And when he, I found out that he was playing Tom, I was like, Oh, amazing. Because you want somebody that's talented that can banter. And they, de- they definitely did keep a lot of the stuff that we wrote ourselves and came up with in the movie. And he's just so talented. He can do like any impression, any accent, any, anything, you know? So it was so much fun working with him. What was the greatest part of working with this ensemble it's a very interesting movie you it, it fulfills the action level and it fulfills everything on a comedic level I really had a good time watching this what did you what attracted you you to this overall big picture for this film again what you said it, it was like it's both funny and thrilling so i didn't expect mimi i laughed out loud with mimi and tom multiple times and i thought oh this isn't it's almost like like a movie set in a movie. That's why I was hoping I'm like, we need to do a spinoff with this family. Like, who are these people? How did they survive? What's their marriage? Like, what are their kids going to do? You know, what's a home, what's a, what's a day in the life of their house. But, um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't read that many scripts like that. You know what I mean? Either it's usually just like a action thriller or a horror or a comedy. And this was like refreshing for sure. On that refreshing element, my podcast co-host, coincidentally, he just got back a week ago, actually several days ago from Iceland. Overall, what was your, what did you, a couple of years later, what did you take from that experience and what would you go back? From Iceland? Yeah. In general, oh, what did you love? That was just amazing. Um, did, there's, there's a beach. I mean, there's so much to see, but there's a beach called Diamond Beach that was absolutely stunning. Um, basically, pieces of glacier uh, break off in the night. They melt during the day, but in the in the evening time and the morning, pieces of the glacier 
brought wash up to shore on black sand. So it looks like big, huge white, like diamonds on the, the black sand beach. Um, obviously trying to see the Northern lights. I didn't see them, but I saw so much other stuff and you get like hazy bits of it. Um, we landed in the like ice caves that those were phenomenal. Um, God, there's so, there's so much. I, I would go back. Honestly, I would be curious to go back during the summer when it's all really green. Um, but I thought it was an absolutely amazing place to be, even just the people, you know, it's just, it's so tiny. They all have the same sensibility. They're so warm. They're, they're so small that this is not part of our movie at all, but on a dating app, they have to like, make sure they're not related. <laughs> That's <amazing>. Yeah. <laughs> That's how small the island is. <laughs> but, I've always wondered with you've had such a diverse acting career and from when, from once you started, do you have different priorities now? Do you look at your career in a different fashion, the way you approach it as an actor, or is there a through line that no matter how life changes, there is just that one singular goal and it doesn't change. That's a good question. Um, I think my goal before was it's, it's definitely morphed over the years from when I was 20 to 25 to 30 to 35, for sure. It's had, I've had different goals and now at 35, I think, well, I'm 37, but at 35 in that little area of time, now that I'm a mom, I just think if it's a, it has to be something that will make me grow as an actor or explore a different part of my psyche or self or body. Um, and it can't, and if it takes me away from my kid, it has to either be something that will expand me or, you know, bring something more to our life as a family. You know, if I, I was on a show in Nashville, I absolutely loved living in that city for a couple of years. I love my house there. That felt like, you know, I got to sing. I'd wanted to sing on camera for years. It's bringing something new to your life, but there are projects that I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to, to leave my family for that. And I'm not willing to sort of like go to some random town for a month and, um, you know, do something I've done a hundred times before, you know? Yeah. Just from the content side, for me, I, there, there just seems to be a lot of projects that I'm covering, but I'm not an actor or filmmaker. Do you see this ex- expansion of content? Does that really help on the acting level or it's really, it's a whole different arena for you? For you, as far as the quality of content that you're being you're being offered, et cetera, et cetera, you, you mentioned the scripts and whatnot. Do you see a lot more, or maybe sometimes quantity and qu- quality does not equal each other? Right? No, it's interesting. I everyone says that, and I talk about it all the time with all of my actor friends. Like, there's so much more content. There's so much more content. But I don't see it as an actress at all. Like, I don't. I don't, and neither do any of my friends. So I believe that. There is a lot of content, but think about in the last 20 years, how many people are on earth? Like, what have we, we've gone up like a billion people in two generations, like 30 years or something. So I think that there, just because there's a lot of content, I think there are just as many thousands of people that move every year to big cities that are trying to be actors. Also, everything is done online now. So you don't even have to move to a big city. You're just making tapes. And also with social media and TikTok, there's just an entire other world of talent that they're getting their, their cast from because 
some of these smaller movies, smaller projects, they need the built-in audience that a TikToker with 10 million followers is going to give them. So they don't have to pay for PR or whatever that person will post it. So it's just really changed the landscape of it. Whereas when I started 20 years ago, you really needed a really good agent and you could only get that. And it was really hard to get it. And there was only one way to like get your foot in the door with these scripts and blah, blah, blah. It's totally changed out now. So I don't see it as like, oh, there's a ton more content and there's a ton more um, possibilities. I think it's just as um, just as uh, competitive as it ever was, if not more. I also think there's like a lot of talented actors, like a lot of people can act. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's just changed a lot. Final couple questions. Just as a youth, did you get into acting because you were a cinephile or maybe a TV addict, a little bit of both? Which arena was it? Film or t- television, which led you on the acting path, or maybe none of the none of the above? Definitely a cinephile. Like I, we didn't even have cable, so I don't even think I watched any good shows. Um, but my parents are both actors, and my mom is in the Academy of Motion Pictures, so she. Back then, they used to send all the tapes, VCR tapes. Now it's streaming. But back then, they used to, like, send them with gifts and all these, like, amazing little miniatures and to try to win the vote for the Academy. Of course, they outlawed that because then the most wealthy movies would get watched. But we always had every movie in the house. And I remember, you know, my parents were so snobby, like, about critiquing everything. And it was, like, acting in my house was, like, our religion. Like that was basically all anyone ever talked about. So I basically, I didn't have a chance. <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, God, I should have been raised by doctors. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah. I've been getting screeners since 1995 or 96. So I'm, I'm very entitled and I'm a horrible human being, by the way, and very snobby. So I apologize for that. My final question to you, Caitlin, is um, right, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite films? And what is it about this specific movie that continues to resonate with you? And, oh my yeah. God. That's such a hard question. Oh, it's so random. I mean, I love the deer hunter. <laughs> I, I just really saw that last year. It's so amazing. Did you? Yeah. Oh good. It's so random, but it, I just like, I don't know. Christopher Walken is so good. And like, I love sort of really dark, heavy, I love Goodfellas. I I like grand, big, sweeping, sad movies. Um, yeah, what I, I think it's just the character analysis. What the what they went through, what those soldiers went through, what um, the character development, their relationships, the acting. I mean, the acting is just beyond. I think acting is really what always captures me the most yeah yeah and that score is amazing too caitlin thank you so much for for your time really enjoyed your film and thank you for depressing me with your movie picks <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much all right bye-bye bye-bye pico there's a lot of comedy and um emotional moments behind this movie as well was that one of the reasons why this was a very attractive role for you that it has so many different elements behind the story yes <laughs> it, yeah it was man it was yeah. really really funny really funny script I just, I just thought you know um expertly written the script and um you know i'm no i'm no big movie star right so i've got i, I don't have like all the projects at my disposal 
So I feel really when 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 something this funny comes around, something that I love, where I just love the script so much, and I audition for it, and I meet with the director for it, and they want me, you know, that yeah. that doesn't happen so often. And just the interplay with the same just. Did you guys have to really work for that chemistry or did it, did it pretty much just, just leap off the first time you guys started working together? Because throughout this entire story, you guys go through a lot through this journey. You know, I can't speak for Austin, but I, I, I just really liked the guy the moment that I met him. Yeah. I, I, I I'm, re- I'm trying to remember what the first day was. It was really hot. We were wearing big jackets and we were wrapped in plastic and, 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 um, it felt like we had, it felt like we'd, I don't know. It felt like we'd known each other for a while already. I think we were, we just got along well, man. We did. Yeah. I, I, without giving too much away, can you talk about one scene you, you have with Maria regarding you mimicking and let's just say mimicking an animal. What was that scene like to shoot and how did you get prepared for it? Um, it was, it was excruciatingly embarrassing to shoot. And, um, and, and I prepared for it by, I, it, um, it was fun. It was fun. I can't believe, I can't believe that. Yeah, you, I can't believe it, how it is in the movie. I can't believe that made it. Um, <laughs> dude, it is so bad. Um, I, what did I do, dude? I, I, I watched videos of the sound that the animal made, I think the night before. And then, you know, I feel bad for whoever was staying in the room next to me at the hotel. That's all. That's all I can say. <laughs> Speaking of hotel and locations, I yeah. sometimes I'm feeling like that. This location felt like it was a CGI or a green screen or something because the the location looked so amazing. Can you just talk about the production? And obviously, everyone's working hard on the day. But what was it like to shoot in that environment for the duration of the production? It's the best ever. I love Italy. I, I, I worked there a couple of years ago and I remember thinking, uh, after I got done with that job, I remember thinking, Oh man, it's all downhill from here. You know, I'm yeah. never going to be able to shoot in a beautiful place like this. And then lo and behold, within three or four years or whatever it was, I'm back in Rome, baby. Yeah. You know, also the, the honeymoon can be really enjoyed as entertainment and as a comedy but it also speaks to the point of just sometimes friendships from your childhood things change but no matter what the bond is still going to be there what was did you like exploring that part of the story that even though it is very entertaining there is some stuff to be gleaned as well because it faces some really some realistic truths about long lifelong friendships yeah yeah i i i did like that and i did feel that in the script you know it is in its own way kind of heartbreaking heartwarming all in one um yeah it's tough you know you know somebody it's tough when you have these long-lasting friendships that developed when you were children um there's a pattern that you know arises and there's a dynamic there when you're kids and when you grow up, you know, you change a little bit and you recognize that you have certain needs or maybe you had had those needs all along that uh, weren't met in the relationship. But now you're at a point where you know how to advocate for yourself and you know how to advocate for those needs. 
Um, but it can be extremely intimidating or daunting to talk about that openly. Yeah. And so what happens is you, you sit on it and it builds resentment. And a lot of the time, you know, those relationships can kind of explode and, uh, and they can be lost. And what I like about this movie is, yeah, you have this, you have this friendship that you can already tell at the start, like, Oh man, you know, how would these, these guys wouldn't have been friends if they'd met now. Yeah. Like, like you said, there's some bond that's holding them together. And, and, um, and I think they, because of this like intense, intense situation, they're forced to, to reckon with it in a real way. Uh, and, and it's nice, you know, I think Dean, Dean is a, Dean is a real talent, you know, he's a real talented, uh, writer, also real talented director, but, but in his writing, that, that stuff is all there. You know, I think that's what makes a good comedy. I mean, who knows how people will feel. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed I, it. I, I thought it was, I really enjoyed this movie as well, but Pico, for you just looking at your own career, your own journey as an actor, what is this time like for you as far as you're looking for scripts that appeal, appeals to you on an artistic level? But it seems to me there's a lot of options available for you right now and moving forward. Where where do you stand right now as far as how you look at your your own craft? Or maybe you just don't overanalyze it like I'm, I'm just saying right now. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, I, I think maybe it, it might feel like I have more options than than I feel like I have. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always like you get off of a job and... Um, a couple of weeks go by, a couple of months go by and you start thinking, man, I don't think I'm ever going to work again. You know, I don't think I'm, man, I don't think I got, uh, man, maybe I just, I'm just not made for it or whatever. Uh, and then something comes around and you do it. Um, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know what's next. I just know. I just know when I read something that excites me and and that always gets my hopes up and it always gets me excited uh and i feel very lucky to be able to you know play in that arena even if i don't get um a lot of those jobs yeah i I still feel lucky that i have representation that'll put me out for them you know what i mean i get the opportunity to audition for some of the greatest stuff that's being made right now. And, um, and while I do, you know, while I do mourn it sometimes, uh, it's not lost on me, uh, just how lucky I am. You know, the fact that maybe you, you, uh, maybe grew up in either a filmmaking family or you were, uh, you knew cinema from an early age. Does did, did that make you actually right now where you are right now, give you a more grounded sense of how to go about your your job as an actor, the fact that you are not new to this, you you've had experience maybe in the past through your family or, or not. Am I assuming? Yeah. No, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great question, Greg. I, yeah, I think it, I think it did ground me actually, or I think it did ground me early on and it gave me, um, it just gave me more perspective, I think. And um, I think I, I, I maybe, you know, I, I think I took that for granted maybe when I was younger, re- realizing that, that, I, that I've seen, um, you know, I'd seen the guts of a production um, in a way that I think I would have been somewhat shielded from had I only done the acting thing. Yeah. Um, I worked as a PA for a, for a little bit. Cool. Um, 
And, and I'm like, I'm really grateful for that because being on channel one, you know, when, 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 when there's a production going on, everybody's got a walkie talkie system, right. And there are a number of channels on that walkie talkie system, um, that are reserved for different elements of the crew. So cameras on 10, uh, grips is on one channel, electric on another channel, locations on another channel, but channel one is, um, the, the kind of like house channel. That's, that's where the AD department is and that anybody can go to one. Um, uh, anybody, everybody always has channel one, uh, on a separate walkie going. That's, that's where action is called. That's where cut is called. And, um, working as a PA, I got to sit and listen to what happens on channel one and, um, and really get a sense of, of how many, pieces need to fit together to 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 pull something off to pull a movie off and when you're working as an actor um you're very much insulated from that wow um you don't you know they don't want you to know that every second counts um so initially when i started acting coming out of the pa stuff I, 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 you know, I was very conscious of the time and the time it took for me to get dressed, the time it took for me to report to set, the time it took from, uh, for me to come get from my chair, uh, to set that type of stuff. Yeah. And I think that was like initially kind of an obstacle for me to overcome because, you know, as an actor, you have to take your time and you have to um, knowing that everybody is, you know, rushing to make this happen as fast as possible. You have to assume the time that the scene demands. So that character is taking their time. um, That can feel like a conflict for, for the actor sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was initially not. This is a very long-winded answer here, Greg. Thanks no, no, I I never knew any of this stuff. So this was interesting. Um, so I think knowing it initially was an obstacle because I was way, you know, wanting to be respectful to all the PAs and to all the departments in realizing, you know, everybody's like really hustling to make this happen. Um, but then I would feel like maybe I would like rush things. Um, and now I feel like I'm I'm really grateful to have had that because I'm aware of. I'm aware of the production and how it's moving. And now I just have a better sense of myself so I can take my time because I realize that's what my job is, you know? So it's my job to slow things down sometimes. And Pico, very quickly being respectful of your time right now, just, and I'm going to rush things, but just. No, 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 don't worry. We can give you a little more time. There was some stuff in the beginning there that was, uh, you know, the the technical difficulties. I'm good. So, so don't feel like you have to rush. Oh, I I appreciate it. But just, just final question right off the top of your head. Can you name one? And this is, apologies if this is a hard question, but can you name one of your all time favorite films? And what is about the specific movie that still resonates with you as a, as a cinephile? Yeah. Um, you know, it always changes. Yeah. It does always change, but right now, today, I mean, today I'll give you, my answer will be, um, 
the matrix. <laughs> yeah, really? Okay. Maybe my answer will be the matrix. Just be, the I genre? Love it because yeah. of the idea that it presented the idea that, uh, that made me question my reality and, uh, question the world in which I live. Um, I think it provided me and uh, provided my childhood self, uh, an interesting framework through which to, uh, to view my life and my city and my, my world and, and the world in which we all live, you know? Yeah. Nico, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed your phone. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for, uh, thanks for all the nice questions and good talking to you. Pleasure.